Time for Talk of the Town with Lisa Kay. Morning, Albat. Albat, it's Lisa Kay. How are you? I am swell, Lisa. I wish, uh, you know, it, I listened to the uh, Rolling Stones before I went to bed last night. <laughs> you can't always get what you want, and I really didn't want minus nine degrees. Oh, I, no. You, you can't always get what you want. That's absolutely true. I think I read the last forecast, our wind chills were like 26 below zero today, and just on top of all that snow yesterday, which is beautiful. I really, I like the snow. It beautified everything up, but I could do without this cold. It's uh, achingly beautiful, particularly after you shovel it all, I found. But, yeah, it makes my lawn look as good as everybody else's, all that snow. It kind of covers up all the the dirt and the brown stuff, then. That's right. Yeah, yeah. Uh, So I'm trying to think about the wildlife I've seen since I've last talked to you. Um, I don't know if I told you I was up in, in northern Minnesota, and so many deer... Uh, then I come back home, and I feel like I've seen just as many around here. Are they like? Are they moving around quite a bit right now? Is it? Does the snow have anything to do with it? Is yeah, they would uh, certainly be moving not as much as they do in the fall, probably when so many of our uh, animals have fall shuffles, whether it's birds migrating or uh, deer finding a better place to herd up or raccoons finding a place where they can uh, nap some during the year so but they yeah you get things covered up a little bit and the soft snow is hard on a lot of things like turkeys can dig down maybe six inches in soft snow or hard snow they can dig down about a foot Mm. to find food so the soft fluffy snow uh, which uh, if you have a snow blower you find out it makes some difficulties too but it's hard to um, it's hard for animals to dig in soft snow so deer will move around some and uh, boy I'm seeing a lot I just see deer pretty much wherever I go here I think I stopped at the supermarket the other day and I think there was a deer in aisle seven (laughs) I I, I couldn't be sure well certainly probably not buying eggs or anything like that those are too spendy I have a friend that has this arborvitae growing out in front of his house and he's noticing what he thinks well he's assuming because he thinks he sees the uh, um, you know, left behinds of the rabbit, but these rabbits are eating the bottom branches off of this tree, and he's thinking maybe that maybe they're hungry, uh, maybe that's that's what's going on. But it, they're destroying his tree, so he's like, I think I, I put some food out there for them, and they t- took the vegetables that he left outside. <laughs> I don't know if yeah. that I said I don't know if that's going to bring more rabbits to the <laughs> salad buffet or not. That might be the place for them to shop for food. It's uh, Deer love arborvitae. Oh. I shouldn't say they love arborvitae, but when things get kind of scarce as far as food, they certainly will eat arborvitae, which I've chewed on a few of those needles, and boy, more power to them. Mm-hmm. And the rabbits, I'd heard from so many people saying I've had blue snow in my yard. It was like somebody had stepped on a smurf or spit out uh, mouthwash or spilled some antifreeze. And I'm seeing it, too. Uh, and it's this time of year where we see blue snow. Not not the kind of blue snow where we're shoveling it. This is the really blue snow, like, like somebody stepped on a Smurf. That's what it looks like. Hmm. And that's typically rabbit urine 
because they are eating buckthorn, and they kind of wait till this time of year where they start running low on uh, some of the other things that they enjoy eating, and that's probably why they're eating arborvitae now. But they uh, there's a chemical in that bark and the twigs and the branches that interacts with the urine. Some scientists say it's when it uh, reacts to the sun when it's on the snow, but I, well, I imagine it uh, oxygen, it would react just with the air. But anyway, it turns it this blue color, and you can tell it's rabbits because they usually leave little rabbit pellets that are round. Uh, deer pellets are kind of pointed, a uh, little more pointed at one end. But all of a sudden, we're seeing blue snow. Mm -hmm. It's uh, one of those things that happens every year. And like our moms told us, don't eat the yellow snow and don't eat the blue snow either. That doesn't sound good either. No. (laughs) Well, I mean, it sounds like, you know, this time of year, especially with us getting more snow and we're waiting for spring and animals are probably waiting for some of their food to be a little bit more prevalent. Um, Is this the reason why so many cities see kind of this influx of crows in the wintertime? Are they looking for food that's easier to find or What's going on? I was in uh, Austin the other day, and uh, it was getting around that time late afternoon, and there's just this huge flock of crows everywhere I looked. I I couldn't see both ends of the flock because they were kind of spread out. And they come to uh, our cities for a few reasons. One, there's more light. And you say, well, why do crows need light? They go to bed early. They go to bed with the chickens. They don't need light. Well, it makes it easier for them to spot owls, who are their sworn enemies and are proficient predators. So you want to have a place where you can see the owls have yet a disadvantage in the darkness. Mm. Because they can see, you can't. Uh, Cities are a bit warmer. You have that heat island. So they're a bit warmer than rural areas. And it might be, you know, a degree or two, but, man, it makes a great deal of difference when it comes to what kind of mileage you're getting as a crow, burning that energy. And being in a flock spreads the risk of a crow being picked off by an owl. So if you're in a great bunch, your chances of getting it uh, aren't as good as if you're out there all by yourself. And then there are places where crows could pick up breakfast, just as you suggested, (laughs) on their way out of town. So they're going to go out in the country and do whatever crows do during the day, check the... Check the highways for something to eat. But there are things, you know, at a fast food drive through there might be a couple of stale french fries. Out behind a restaurant, there might be a pizza that somebody couldn't finish. So there's all those kind of things. And just it makes life a little bit easier for a crow when they're in the cities. And uh, it used to be probably more so than it is today, but they used to have great crow hunts out in the country. And I don't mean great in a good way. I mean great in large numbers. Mm. And people would shoot crows. And, of course, they can shoot them out in the country, but not so likely in the city. So there is probably a, still a bit of that protection allowed to crow when they come to the city. Okay. All right. Well, how about um, house finches? I know that that's one of the birds that's most prevalent at my house because I've sent you pictures and you've described them to me, um, but that I, there's so many house finches around my house. How how come there are so many here in the Midwest? Yeah, and they're not native here. Um, they were, house finches were originally a bird of the western United States and down into Mexico. And in 1940, some house finches were released in Long Island, New York. 
after failed attempts to sell them as caged birds. They were called Hollywood finches because oh. they're beautiful singers. So uh, some enterprising individual or individuals decided we're going to sell these birds and they'll be uh, like, like the canary. If you want something, if you don't want the yellow bird, we have these beautiful red and brown birds that you can have. Hmm. Well, there's uh, various stories about this. Some is that the feds found out they had this and they were gonna, they were closing in on them like they do in the movies. <laughs> so they let them go. Other ones said they just escaped. So there may be some truth in both of those. But the population became established in New York, and then it spread throughout the country as if they're trying to go home again, heading west. Hmm. And house finches are about the same size as house sparrows. They're more slender. Most adult males are rosy red around the face and upper breast with streaky brown back, belly, and tail. Some have more orange or yellow. Adult females aren't red, but they're grayish-brown with indistinctly marked faces. But they came here, and you know what? They're staying, and they're the ones that uh, nest in that Christmas wreath if we leave it on the door or if we have a window box in the spring, they'll nest in that. So they're aptly named house finches. They are beautiful, and they are lovely singers, and I'm so glad they're here keeping us company. I do like watching them out at the feeders, and even when I put some seed on uh, like a table that's out on my patio right by my bedroom window, I can just sit in the window and watch, uh, even in the wintertime, so I appreciate that. So we've got a question about, we're just done with Groundhog Day, right? Um, And I, I I always tell people, no matter what the groundhog says or sees or doesn't see, spring comes when it comes, right? It's a date on the calendar. That's right. The, the groundhog, uh, he knows. He's, he's as good at it as I am. <laughs> he, he doesn't. He's just trying to sleep. How good are we when somebody wakes us up? We, we don't know even who we are or what we are. <laughs> Pull him out yeah. of the stump and, and hold him up and see what happens, right? That's right. Is, is there a difference between a groundhog and a woodchuck? Are they two different animals? There is no Woodchuck Day movie, and there is Groundhog Day, which yeah. is a great movie with Bill Murray. I enjoy it very mm-hmm. much. And maybe they'll make a Woodchuck Day. So that's <laughs> one of the differences. And, of course, a woodchuck chucks wood, and groundhogs are supposedly crack meteorologists, so that's a big difference. <laughs> uh, there is no difference. They are the same animal, uh, also called a whistle pig by some. Oh, And we had a dog uh, lived on a farm, and uh, the dog did not like groundhogs, and he would um, chase them, and and they climb trees. So they get up in the trees. I see them here in my yard. They love eating the leaves of mulberry trees here. But he chased them up in a tree, and then he'd just stand below and stare up in the tree at them, and then the woodchuck would get nervous, of course, and then it would whistle. (laughs) <laughs> and it usually whistled after the dog was beginning to lose interest and was starting to stroll away. Then the woodchuck would whistle, so then the dog had to run back out there and stare up in the tree for another <laughs> hour. So it was a, a way to keep them both occupied. But, yeah, groundhog, woodchuck, whistle pig, it's all the same animal. You would think that it would get smart enough where, you know, if I whistle, the dog's coming back, so I'm just going to remain quiet for a while. But yeah, no. and apparently it was a dog whistle because it oh. just uh, brought the dog immediately. And the dog never came when I whistled like that, but it <laughs> did when the woodchuck whistled. We need to get a woodchuck whistle instead That's to call right. our dogs then, right? Uh, somebody asked, how long do red-tailed hawks live? 
I just saw a pair of red-tailed hawks on a dead branch, and they were sitting side by side. And it happens around Valentine's Day every year, and maybe that's just when I'm looking for them. But around that time, they start, uh, you know, getting uh, up next next to their sweetie. Uh, their thoughts turn to the next uh, to nesting and things. Uh, red-tailed hawks could hang around for a good spell, but most do not live that long. Uh, more than 70% survive until fledging. So uh, it's when they hatch, 70% of those survive to get out of the nest. But then the survival rates plummet after that, and more than half of the young hawks perish during the first year, and then 20% of those die each year thereafter mm. based on banding data. The oldest known wild red-tailed hawk was at least 30 years, and I think it was eight months, 30 years plus anyway, when it died, and it was in Michigan. It had been banded in that state, and so they knew pretty much how old it was. But most of them, they live less than two years. Oh, that seems kind yeah. of a short life for a hawk. It is. They're beautiful birds. Hmm. Um, let's talk starlings, uh, sure. and, and how, do they, how do they get here? You know, for uh, 100 years, uh, I've been telling everybody they are here because of Shakespeare. I, don't, I couldn't, if I had a nickel for every time I've told somebody that, I, I'd have a lot of nickels. <laughs> I've thought that all my life. I passed on that story that they were uh, introduced to North America in 1890 and 1891 by this society dedicated to introducing European flora and fauna into North America. And the man responsible for it was Eugene Schieflin, and he did so because he wanted every bird mentioned in Shakespeare's plays to be in this country. Um, And that's all true, except it likely had nothing to do with Shakespeare. Oh, really? Because starlings were mentioned only once in Shakespeare's work, and it was Henry IV, and they were mentioned because of their ability to mimic and I thought this was true, and then this guy comes galloping along on a white horse. He was John Miller of Allegheny College. He's a professor, and he was assisted by a student. And he showed that starlings were released in the U.S. multiple times in the 1870s and 1880s. Oh. Wild flocks were reported during that time. Edwin Way Teal is... Uh, I loved Edwin Waite Teal. I read everything I think he's ever written. One of his books, A Days Without Time, published in 1948, had popularized the Shakespeare angle. And maybe that's where I first got it. I read Teal. Again, I enjoyed his writing. He wrote that Schieffelin had the curious hobby of introducing all the birds mentioned in the works of William Shakespeare. So the releases in 1890 and 91 weren't the first. They'd released starlings at least once before in the 1870s. So that first assertion of Shakespeare's influence on those releases happened nearly 60 years after the last release. Hmm. And one thing about starlings, we think they're everywhere, but despite, despite 
the starling success in large numbers, its population is in steep decline in North America. The current population is half the size it was 50 years ago. Huh. And that's from 1996 to 2019, according to the North American Breeding Bird Survey. So it's declined like 1%. It's also declining in Europe, too. But they are common and widespread. So if you want to see a starling, you're going to probably have good luck today. All right. Do you know why the population is declining? Or You know, there's some, uh, the habitat, uh, urbanization, pesticides, herbicides, the people have all kinds of reason, and it's probably a combination of all those as it is with uh, most things. Mm, okay. All right. Um, so we were talking earlier about animals trying to find food, and someone had a question about ring-neck pheasants. And are, are they having trouble finding food? How long can they go without food? I see, uh, I've seen so many in my yard. I see a dozen at a time in my yard. Uh, they come under the bird feeders and eat whatever falls from those bird feeders. They, uh, they don't want to be around me. Uh, they don't care all that much for humans. So, yeah, they can have trouble finding food. As many have said, ringneck pheasants aren't necessarily they're not meant for minnesota weather but Mm. then you can ask who is (laughs) Uh, they're just not uh, the turkeys are they do well here the dnr and uh, i don't remember who it was from the dnr i listened to him talk saying during extreme winter weather pheasants can go up to two weeks without feeding and how do they do that well just as we would think. They reduce their metabolism and energy requirements. So they just they hunker down like we do in mm. winter and just uh, sit there and say, what miserable weather this is. And uh, all of a sudden you don't uh, feel like eating much. But then turkeys, I guess, can do the, about the same thing, go a couple of weeks without eating, which is just incredible. And so if you end up seeing them underneath your bird feeder, is it an extreme case of hunger or they just can't find anything else? If they don't yeah, like people? I, I don't think it's probably an extreme case. They're just out trying to find something to eat. And sometimes under bird feeders is a pretty nice place for them to come. There might be quite a bit of food there. And uh, they will come in. And like I say, I get a dozen of them at least in here. And the last time I counted, there were six hens and six roosters. And, of course, they can't all get along while they're doing that either. They can't say, hey, come on, let's all eat. <laughs> There's uh, The pecking order comes into play. But... Yeah, they, I'm sure they're hungry, but the ones I see, they look in pretty good shape. You can usually tell about how their feathers are and if their tail is still nice and not bent. There's only one of the bunch, one rooster, has kind of a rough end of his tail. But other than that, they look pretty healthy. Well, hopefully they make it through. we got about a minute left with Al Bat, our guest today on Talk of the Town. Uh, when are the bluebirds coming back? People want to know. I've heard from a bunch of folks because we're anxious to have them back. They return as early as this month yet. So we're going to look for the end of this month. Maybe we'll see some. Most arrive in early March because they start nesting from late March. And then they'll nest into early August. So I love seeing they are the bluebirds of happiness. Absolutely. Well, I want you to hunker down in the uh, cold weather that we have today. It'll be better tomorrow, and next time we talk to you, even warmer still. Al Bat, thank you so much for joining us on Talk of the Town and for your time today. Thanks, Lisa. Remember, folks, sunshine and laughter are miracle cures, so try that today. Maybe the weather will warm.